Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. God has a family, and he calls it his church. It's a massive global community comprised of people of every race, social, economic background, color, and creed. And we are ACF Church, a specific tribe of God's family with a vision to see it be in Alaska as it is in heaven. We are not self-motivated, but spirit-motivated, and by his might we work to see transformation in the lives of our community. You cannot buy our hearts because we are trading this world for the priceless prize that is in Christ. We are hopeful in a hope-starved world because Jesus has already conquered the world. And we fight. We fight hard for what is true and good and just in our midst. Why? Because Christ first fought for us. Why? Because love always tastes better than hatred. Why? Because time is short and the stakes are high. And we each have our own story. We are the church who see our state as a mission field for the expansion of the gospel. We are the unchurched who are seeking truth and authentic community in a Jesus-focused place. And we are the de-churched who have been broken by religion but have chosen to pursue God for who he is on his terms. So we amplify the grace that will change the world. It's who we are because God is alive. We are ACF Church. Yes, we are. Hey, uh, welcome to church today. Uh, we're so glad that you're with us. If you're new to ACF, welcome this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, this weekend, we celebrate the sacrifice that has been paid for our freedom. And so we definitely want to make sure we take time in the busyness of, uh, of this weekend as you're barbecuing, just to think about the blessings that we have and, and what's been handed to us. Also, can we welcome everybody who's with us online? Thank you for being with us as well. Part of our family from a distance, we're glad that you're with us today. We are starting a brand new series called We Are ACF, and this whole conversation is going to be about who we are, and so if you are brand new to the church um, or just checking out uh, Faith in Jesus, this will be a great series to kind of figure out what do, what do we believe as a community, who are, what are we about, and, and what's our vision, and, and so this this is a series really that is important for us right now, specifically as there's a lot of change coming for our church. Uh, if you haven't seen, there's a bunch of yellow equipment parked at the back of our building, and so we're going to begin doing some major work on our facility. And anytime we take a step forward as a church, it's an important thing to just slow down and ask ourselves, what are we about? What is our vision? What are we really doing here? And so over the next four weeks, you're going to get a really clear picture of who we are as ACF Church. So I encourage you, just make a commitment uh, to be here for this entire conversation. A quick question, any road ragers in the room? Any, okay, be honest. You can raise the hand of the person next to you if they're lying in church. That's all right. There you go. Uh, they, don't, we, they don't always know that they're the road ragers, but um, I am not. This is not a struggle of mine, um, but, but <laughs> a little while back, I was out in Wasilla, and I went to the Fred Meyer, and I, and I had this old truck that I was driving, and, and uh, the, the, the magical moment happened. I noticed there was a parking spot open right at the, at the entrance, like right, the closest parking spot that could be open, and the rest were all full. And so I'm thinking, this is, 
thank you, God, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a blessed man. And so I'm driving towards the spot while this little Honda uh, Accord or something comes in and, and tries to take my spot, right? And so in that moment, it, it was weird. This never happens to me, but like I forgot that I followed Jesus like that, right? And I turned into a, into a road rager, right? So like I'm peeling into the spot and now he's doing the same thing. And so both our bumpers are like halfway into the parking spot and we're like yelling at each other through the window and, and screaming and saying things that you can't say in church. And, and, and like, like now we're, we're hitting the gas and the brakes and we're peeling back. Aren't you proud of your pastor? So like, like back and forth and, and finally like I won, by the way. I peeled in the spot. And jumped out and kind of gave him the what's up, you know, look. And he drove off. And, and it was so weird. Like, I'm walking into the store. I'm just like, what just happened? Have you ever had a moment where you just thought to yourself, who am I? Like, like who am I right now? Where did this come? Clearly, there's, a, there's an angry man inside of me somewhere. And it just came out at that moment. But here's the thing. I want to start with this. is If you don't know who you are, you're going to pr- be prone to become somebody that you don't want to be. And that's just what we know. We need to know who we are and and be able to answer the question, who are we? And have a clear vision for our lives so that we don't become people that we don't want to be. So that we be the people that that God calls us to be. And and so we we have a vision as a church and and we should have visions as individuals of who we're intended to be. So so who are you? Who are you? Here's Here's a great way to answer this question. You are a uniquely created being living in a specific place and time with a distinct purpose and calling that only you can accomplish. You're a very specific person with a specific calling, and and before you're like, oh, cute, we're like all little snowflakes. No, like, this is really important because if you don't know who you are, you won't know what to pursue. Like, your identity, answering this question, who am I, will help you to know what to do. What to, you know, where to go to school, what the next step is in, in, in maybe to get married or relationships or where you need to live. It all is driven by your vision for your life. And you have a specific calling and vision that only you can accomplish. You have gifts and skills and, and abilities and stories that, that I don't have. And it's so key that we all know who we are as individuals. And so then the next question is, who's ACF? Uh, We are all kinds of individuals together as a a specific tribe called ACF Church. Now here's our mission. Our mission is to amplify the grace of Jesus to the churched, unchurched, and de-churched. That's our mission as a church, is that we would be amplifiers of grace. Like right now, there are amplifiers all over this room. And I'm speaking through an amplifier, right? Through a microphone. And, And if we shut this off, you'd be able to hear my voice but it wouldn't be nearly as loud. What, what we are as Christians, are, we are beneficiaries of the grace of Christ. He's given us so much. We are so blessed by his grace. And so what we do is we amplify his grace. We want to tell Jesus in his story to the world. And that's our mission. Everything that we do, as we do outreach this summer, as we reach into our community, we serve the people that are around us, we are trying to amplify and express the grace that's been first given to us. And what you're going to find if you stick around ACF for very long is that we talk a lot about grace. We are completely unbashful about grace. We don't restrict grace at all. And I want to, I want to be careful with that for some of you because some of you, when you hear grace, what you think is license. What you think is when, when we give grace, what we're saying is just do whatever you want, right? Everything's okay. Just grace, grace. But what you need to understand is that Jesus, when he came to the world, he was full of grace and truth, Right? And we know this. We know that you can have truth without grace, can't you? 
Some of you have been given truth without grace, and you resisted that because it hurt, right? It hurt your, hurt your, your feelings, or maybe you missed the point because of the way that it, that it was said. So you can have truth without grace, but let me just tell you, you cannot have grace without truth. Grace, true grace, never compromises the truth. Jesus never compromised the truth. He was full of grace, but because he loved the people around him so much, because he loved the world so much, he brought them the truth. And I think we know that too, right? We've all had a friend who was kind enough, gracious enough to say, dude, you are screwing this up, right? Hey, you need to change this in your life. You need to see this differently. And, and, and in the end, we may resist it, but we know that that is the most loving thing to do sometimes. And so we believe that's our mission to the churched and the unchurched and even the dechurched is to be stewards of grace. In fact, 1 Peter 4, 10 says this, as each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Once again, in all of this, as we steward the grace of God and the grace of Jesus, it's all about making him known. It's all about glorifying him. And today I want to focus specifically on one of our values as a church, and it's simply this, that life is better together. We believe that, that, that life is better together, that we were intended to be in community. And for a lot of you, you live in Alaska, and it's a long ways away from home, and what you need is a community. And maybe you came here today because you just need some friends. You need some people in your life, and, and I think that's awesome. I think that's a great first step is just to join a church and be part of a community. We've had people do this for us. When we came to Alaska, the, the Venhouse family, Danny and Carolyn, they opened their home to us. And they just said, hey, what's ours is yours. And for our family, it's really what kept us in Alaska at first, is we knew that we had family in Alaska. I think we know this, that we are meant to be in community. In fact, Genesis 2, uh, verse 18 says, it is not good for man to be alone. God makes this so clear that we're not intended to be alone. Another passage that we use is, oftentimes in weddings, is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him is, who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. So these, these verses, oftentimes we do use them in weddings, but they're more than that. They're really just about relationships that we were intended to be in a community. Now, we know this too, though. Some of you are here today, and you're around a lot of people, but you're actually not part of the community. I mean, how many of you know you can be around a crowd and be really isolated? You can be surrounded by people and feel really alone. And sometimes maybe people come to church, and maybe you're here today, and you are around a lot of people, you feel alone. And that's because people don't truly know you. And this is really deeper than just being around people. It's about helping people to know you and not being isolated. Here's a few things that isolation builds. We want to avoid isolation as people. The first thing is this. Isolation builds discontentment. It just builds discontentment. We were meant to enjoy things together. Like all the good things in life were meant to be enjoyed together. We went camping. Uh, we left on, on Thursday, went out uh, to Hatcher's Pass, and we're sitting around a fire. We had friends and just enjoying the night. And I was thinking this weekend how awesome it is that we get to enjoy these things together. We're looking out, you know, on this mountainside. There's like a moose walking down the river. We got all those great Alaska experiences, but we had them together. And I know this. I've been in the mountains alone. 
and I've sat around fires alone. And there's just something about having people to share it with. You will be discontent with the life, with life. Even the best things that you acquire in life were meant to be enjoyed together. Next thing is isolation leads to relational drama. Isn't that true? Uh, how many of you guys know that you're not safe in your own mind for very long? I'm not. I know that. Like, I will come to incorrect conclusions about things. I might hear you say something or, you know, see something that I'm going to misunderstand. And I need people in my life who are like, that's not what they meant, right? Or who, who can help me reframe a situation. And so if we isolate, if we separate from others, we are separating from input and on how to view different relational situations. We need people to help us to navigate the difficult waters of relationships, Isolation also leads to poor theology. Did you know that? Um, so think of the early church. If we were the, the church of Eagle River in the first century, what would happen is, is maybe we'd get like a copy of the scriptures would, would be delivered to our community. And we'd be like, okay, who can read? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, you can read. So go to the front. You're going to read it. And then we're all going to kind of discuss it. And then, and then we'll come back. We'll discuss it again. We'll talk more about it. Like what, what was being said what does it mean for us? And then how do we live this way? And that's really what it was intended to be. Instead, what we do today is we get our Bibles, and we got them on our phones, right? And we go isolate, and we read the scriptures. And let me just tell you, give me a Bible and about six months alone in the woods, and I will come up with some wacky theology. Because it's just me, and it's my own experiences and my own interpretation. I need commentaries, I need more experienced believers. I need people who are older than me, more wise than me to speak truth, to help me to understand what's being said. And so what a gift is it that we can study the word alone, that God can speak to us alone. It's a beautiful gift. But if you isolate yourself consistently, you will end up with really poor theology. And I get it. Groups of people can end up with poor theology too. Like we could all come up with bad theology, but it's just more difficult because there's a lot, of, a lot of accountability there as well. And the last thing is this, isolation minimizes the mission. Uh, in this trend of doing Christianity and following Jesus alone, I think, I think what we've convinced ourselves is that we are uh, as effective separate as we are together. And I just want to tell you that that is a lie. That if we were all to just dissolve ACF Church today, let's just say we close the doors or when they're ripping off the back of the building, the whole thing collapses and we're like, where do we meet now? I'm like, I don't know, don't worry about it, we're done. Just do your, do your Jesus thing, just go live your life. And I'm sure, like, I'm sure we will reach the city just as well as we would together. I, I think that's a lie. I think we need each other. I think the mission in our city is so great that we need a community and that we are better together. I mean, do we realize the brokenness that we live around? Eagle River is a pretty nice community. Maybe you live on base. Maybe you live out in Wasilla or in Anchorage somewhere. And we live in a lot of really nice communities and manicured yards and the kids are playing out front. But behind closed doors, there is so much grief. There are so many broken relationships. There are so many parents that are in turmoil with their children and, and roommates that are fighting with each other and, and addiction and, and, and disease and, and, and struggles that people are dealing with. And we miss that. We miss that. So the mission is so much greater. It's so big. We need to do it together. We need to do it together. So we understand this. Life is better together. But togetherness is not simply around people. Togetherness is to be known. And so you can write this down. Being together is not a matter of proximity, but authenticity. It's not just being around people. It's actually to know people and to be known by people. 
That is really what being together means. And so I want to open up to a story this morning in the book of Acts. If you have a Bible, would you open up to Acts? And uh, I think we're going to be in chapter 5 this morning. And all the scriptures are going to be on the screen as well. But this is a story that is really about authentic community. And what's going on here is this is just months after the ascension of Jesus. And, and what we see is this, this early group of Christians, they are exploding. And new believers are, are following the ways of Jesus. We see Peter goes and, and ha- tells, has a sermon and 3,000 people get saved, which in my book is a great sermon, right? So 3,000 people get saved. Obviously, God is at work doing amazing things. And, and this explosion of the Christian movement is happening. And during this time, so many Christians are coming to faith that they're trying to figure out how to, how to encourage everybody, how to share and, and, and share the burden of this new lifestyle with each other. And what there are, there are a lot of Christians who are very poor, and they don't have a lot of resources. And, and maybe you're like, well, why are they poor? And the reason that they're poor is because they became Christians. Uh, see, in this time, when you became a Christian, what often happened is you lost your job. You might have been isolated from your family. You probably lost most of your rapport in the community because this is a, this is a rebellious crowd, these Jesus followers, right? I mean, you got all this, this oppression from the Roman Empire, and yet these Christians are growing and growing in strength. And so many of these people didn't have jobs, they didn't have money, they didn't have food, they didn't have, have clothing, and, and so you've got these early church leaders going, well, how do we care for these people? And then what happened is, is the people in the church said, hey, I'll help, hey, I've got some resources, I'll bring that to the table, and what happened at this point is people were selling their land, which, you know, like, it's one thing to bring an offering, it's another thing to sell, like, your property. And so these people are selling their land and bringing the proceeds to the apostles' feet, we, see, we read that many people did this, Barnabas did this, and then what we read about are these two people, Ananias and Sapphira, who also bring their offering to the table. So let's read this story together. This is Acts chapter 5, verse 1. It says, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart and that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. This is where it gets interesting. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and burned her beside, or bur- burned, buried, and didn't burn her, buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So there's your pick-me-up story for Memorial Day weekend. Here's the thing, there's just no like happy ending to this. It's not like chapter six, and they came back to life. No, they're dead, just dead, Right? And we read this story and we're just like, oh my goodness, did this really happen and, 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 and why? And it seems so extreme and, 
So here's what I kind of think, if I were to boil this down to a scenario, here's what I think happened. You got Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife, who are very blessed. They're very blessed. In fact, Ananias means to be blessed and Sapphira means to be beautiful. So they're, you know, you got, you got a guy who's blessed with a beautiful wife. They're doing pretty good and they've got some land, they've got a church community, they've got people around them and they're doing okay for themselves and, and then what happens in the church is people start being generous. People start being generous and giving to the church and I'd imagine that they wanted to be generous too. And we all have that, right? Sometimes we just want to be generous and be giving and, and be part of the solution. And, and maybe sometimes we even want to be the hero and be seen as part of the solution. That's why Kickstarter campaign's so big, right? So I want to put our name in there. Brian gave $50, right? I am changing the world right now. And everybody can see my name on there. We, we like the glory. And so I'd imagine what they did is, is, is here they are. They've got this piece of property and, and they thought, well, we'll sell it. And we'll give the proceeds to the ministry. And so they felt that conviction. Uh, clearly God told them, the Spirit of God told them to do this. And so then they probably put the, the property on the market. And maybe you've done this before. Let's say it's valued at, they, they valued at $500,000, right? So they put it on the market, $500,000, we'll sell it, we're going to give it to the, to the ministry. Well then, the bidding war happens, right? And the price starts getting jacked up and they're going, oh man, like it's up to six hundred. it's up to six fifty. Maybe the property goes for $800,000, right? And so now they have a decision to make, don't they? And well, God told us to sell the property, to give the money uh, to the ministry, and yet God blessed it with, with so much more than we ever thought. Now, as we hear this story, we're thinking, I would have the same problem, right? Can we nod our heads and go, I would have the If all of a sudden you had, you know, an extra two, $300,000 at your disposal, would you not be like, thank you, Jesus, you know? That, was, that must be for me. That's got to be for me, Right? Same, I would have the same issue. They bring to the table not all of it. They kept back a portion of what they were told by God to give. And so this story, I, this is a great segue from where we've, we've been because we as a church have been talking about giving and generosity and getting our finances in order. But this story is not as much about generosity and giving as I believe it's actually about honesty. It's really about honesty and being real. I mean, they could have come to the table and been like, hey guys, you know, we are actually kind of struggling right now, got a lot of extra money for this, trying to figure out what to do. Instead, they bring all the money to the, to the front, right? This is like public giving in this time, which we are not comfortable with. But for them, they would bring all the, think, imagine like piles of money at the, at the front of the room. And everybody in the room's like, Ananias and Sapphira, you guys are so generous, like. I, I mean, look, look at all you gave, you know? So everybody's thinking, you guys did so great. And certainly they did, didn't they? It was a very generous act. But what we don't know is their hearts. We don't know that they were actually being disobedient to God. Again, we kind of live in this sort of like, well, everybody gets a trophy. At least if I'm partially obedient, that's obedience. But that's not what we see in Scripture. Partial obedience in Scripture is called disobedience. And so they're being disobedient by not bringing everything that God had said to the table and Peter knows about it, right? So Peter starts asking questions, and Peter seems to be really passionate about this whole thing. Now, remember who Peter is? Remember Peter denying Christ three times in fulfillment of that prophecy? So Peter, here's what I think is going on. Peter is feeling the, the sting personally of his own deception. And I think Peter is going, guys, I don't want you to feel what I've felt. I'd imagine in Peter's heart it's still maybe a little shame. 
God is using him in amazing ways. Thousands of people are coming to faith in Jesus through this man who, who was a deceiver. And yet now God is using him. So he's going, guys, don't, don't do this. Don't do what I did. What is driving Ananias? I, I, think, I think it's kind of like this. My cousin the other day, she uh, put a story out on Facebook about something. She actually flips homes, uh, you know, buys and sells old homes that are, that are broken down. She pays teenagers to clean them out for her. It's a great, great scam, so it's awesome. You, you kids deal with all the messy stuff. And uh, anyway, so these teenagers came and cleaned out the house, and one of them brought a ring to her. It was like, hey, I found this ring in all the mess. And she's like, I just keep it. I'm sure it's like a piece of junk, you know, something you know, from, a, from Walmart or something like that, some piece of junk ring, and they got it appraised for $3,000. Now, I'd imagine my co- cousin was like, oh, man, no, bring me the ring, right? Bring me the ring. Instead, she said, you guys, I told you you could have it. You can have it. So these kids, they're going to be cleaning houses for the rest of their lives for her. I mean, <laughs> loving it. But I love the integrity there. Like, hey, I made this decision. I'm going to follow through with it. I'm not going to be dishonest here. Ananias kept back, Sapphira kept back what God told them, and then they deceived others. The first thing I want you to write down is this, that fake community is false community. Fake community is false community. This issue that's going on in the passage, again, is partially about generosity, but this is the early years of the church. So the identity of this church is being set. I mean, to some degree, we're still feeling the identity as we read the book of Acts of this early church. And so in these formidable times, the idea of being an authentic community, being honest with each other, was so important. Just as important as I actually believe it is here today. Fake community is false community, and what they didn't want was just another gathering of people. They didn't want just another crowd of people walking around, following some kind of religion. What they needed was followers of the way of Jesus, who modeled beautiful authenticity with the world. Verse 7, continuing on, Sapphira has a test. It says this, about three hours later, his wife came in. I guess they buried him in three hours. Apparently that's how long it took. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Now, she had a decision to make at this point, right? Did she have to do what her husband had done? No. No, he was, he was being deceptive. And they both had had made this plan together, but he had made a choice. Did she have to go along with it? No, she didn't have to go along with it. But she made a decision. She says, yes, she said. That is the price. And Peter said to her, this is such an interesting question. How could you conspire? In other words, it was a plan. This wasn't just a lapse of judgment. Conspire to test the spirit of the Lord. Would you write this down? Being together means confessing our weakness. In this moment, she didn't want to admit that she was weak. She didn't want to admit that she was struggling. She could have. She, should have. she could have said, guys, no, this isn't everything. We need to go back and talk about this and, and struggle through this. Yeah, honestly, like we just kind of want a little more for ourselves. But instead, she deceives and she conspires. Now, it's interesting that he says that she's conspired against the spirit of the Lord. That, that this is bigger than just lying to Peter. This is actually like lying to God. And in this situation, really, the way that this whole thing is talked about is not that they just kept back. It was actually like they embezzled money. Because apparently when we don't do what God told us to do financially, it's like we're stealing. 
So literally, she has stolen what is God's, and she has a moment to confess this. Now, we all in this room, we go, okay, so um, any of us could find ourselves in this situation. What would I do? Would I be honest to confess my weakness? I think that in this moment, the outcome could have been really different had she just been honest about her weakness. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So what's your confession today? Like, what is it? I mean, if you were to just be completely honest with somebody, what is the secret? What's the thing that you need healed? And what we read in James is that if you want it healed, then you have to confess it. So all you have to do is look at the secrets in your life, and what you're going to see are the things that you are not ready to receive healing for. James says if you want to be healed, if you want to get better, then you're just going to tear the band-aid off. You're going to get honest. You're going to share about what's going on in your life. This man, Sky Jathani, uh, in his book, The Divine Commodity, makes his own confession about the church and about his relationship with God. He says this. He says, my secret is that I want to be relevant and popular. I want my desires fulfilled and pain minimized. I want a manageable relationship with an institution rather than a messy relationship with real people. I want to be transformed into the image of Christ by showing up at entertaining events rather than through the hard work of discipline. I want to wear my faith on my sleeve and not look at the darkness in my heart. And above all, I want a controllable God. I want a divine commodity to do my will on earth as it is in heaven. So there we go. So confession, what would it look like? What would it look like for you to just to throw it out there and to be honest? What would it look like for you to just lay out your confession, even about church or about faith? I mean, any of us could be this. Hey, do we want to consume? Certainly. Sometimes we're like, man, coffee's cold. I'm not coming back, right? I mean, we all can become consumers when it comes to the church. This is his confession. And yet true Christian community was meant to be authentic. And through that authenticity, we can be healed because other people will help us to see the light. Dietrich Bonhoeffer makes this quote. He says, nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. And nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. So in this way, he flips the terms around for us. We might think it's, it's cruel to call somebody out. Instead, calling somebody out in love, maybe the most compassionate thing you ever do, is that you know somebody and they know you to the point that you can say, listen, with truth and grace, you need some help. Listen, there's another way to see this. Here, here's another thing to, to, to try to make some healing in your life. And, and then they get to do the same with you and help you to grow. If you want to be healed, share your wounds. If you want to be healed, share your secrets. Now, authenticity is kind of a, this is a diff difficult one to navigate, and it's going to get messy, which is a lot of fun. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about what authenticity is not. <laughs> the first thing is this, authenticity is not saying whatever we want, right? This is classic, like, I'm just being authentic. No, you're being a jerk, right? You don't just disconnect love from authenticity and say, well, I'm just being myself. I'm, you know, just saying, right? I'm, I'm just saying, well, don't. It's not nice. So, I mean, sometimes we need to hold back and, and choose carefully who we're authentic with. Again, I, this is not corporate upfront com confession. I'm not asking you guys to come up here and do it, but maybe in your small group, 
maybe with a few close friends, not the, not the checker at Fred Meyer on the way home, but, you know, find somebody, find a, a few trusted individuals, and I get it, some of you have been burned. Some of you are like, Brian, I tried that one time, and they stabbed me in the back. Word got out. But again, somebody screwed up, and I'm sorry for that, but it's not a reason to keep your secrets and to stay stuck in your sin. So confess your sins to one another, to be healed, be authentic, but don't just say whatever you want. Authenticity is also not an excuse to gossip. A lot of people have been hurt by this. As the church gets honest, as communities get honest, what people do is they start talking about other people, and it's not for the betterment of them. It's kind of that classic, if you're not part of the problem or the solution, don't be part of the conversation. It's not, it's not for you to talk about. Um, you don't need to. It's, or, you know, the one that people hear a lot is, you know, pray for, pray for Jim and Susan, right? Is there a Jim and Susan in here? Probably. I don't know. I just threw those names out there. Pray for Jim and Susan. They're struggling in their marriage, you know, and, and oh, they really need prayer. And, and it's just an excuse to say things that you don't need to say to other people. So be careful about what you say. Authenticity is also not getting comfortable with sin. Sometimes we continue down our path uh, of unhealthy behavior because at least we're being honest about it. But I just want you to know that authenticity should lead to transformation. That he said, confess your sins to one another so that you might be healed and, and the prayers of a righteous person is powerful. So you're gonna get healed, uh, you're gonna get prayed for and these people around you who love you are gonna help you take, to, take steps to be restored. So it's not an excuse to, to sin. Um, anybody in the church, church people, ever, ever been in an, uh, an accountability group? Anybody ever been in an accountability group? None of you? <laughs> Sweet. Awesome. Maybe you need to be in an accountability group. So I grew up in these groups called accountability groups, and uh, here's what they turned into. They turned into a lot of people who struggle with the same things, confessing that they're doing the same things over and over again and coming back every week to do it, right? And then you almost feel better about yourself that they're dealing with the same things you are, and you never get anywhere. So authenticity is not an excuse to continue in your behavior. It's a reason to be healed. And the last, like I said earlier, is that authenticity is nothing without love. Don't disconnect love from your honesty. Love for God, love for the person even that you're sharing with. In the end, it's intended to help you take steps forward. I want to close out with this. This is Acts 5, verse 10. This is the most, it's just the most difficult part of this whole thing. It says, And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Apparently a lot of people saw this because great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So here's, when I, when I read this story, I think, why death? I mean, don't you, like, if you're honest, don't you think this is pretty severe? I mean, death, God, really. And, and here's what's even more uncomfortable. When I read this story, I think, if God kills greedy people, why am I here, right? You guys are looking at me really blank this morning. If God kills greedy people, why are we here, right? We, we have to look at this and go, man, um, there's greed in my heart. My heart's still beating. God's given me another day on this earth. Like, what's going on? I believe that there was a, there was a systemic issue in these two. That there's probably a pattern of, of lying and deception, but I also believe that there was a message that was being sent to the early church that being honest about who you are is an absolute necessity in a gathering of true followers of Jesus. That this is not optional. It's not get honest when you feel like it. It's absolutely a necessity. So we read this and we're like, but death, like, 
really physical death for, for deception like this? And here's what we know. The enemy is called the father of lies. He's the king of deception. So what we call like a, like a little white lie or, or just a, a little bit of deception is actually a, a deep-seated root in our lives of sin. And it actually spreads to the people around us and can dissolve a community. It, 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 fake community is false community. That's really what it is. You've been to churches before that you're like, this, is, <laughs> this feels very, everybody looks really good and everybody's happy and they're singing Jesus songs, but is anybody else dealing with what I'm dealing with? Is anybody else you know, angry at their parents right now or you know, struggling with who they are or dealing with some kind of addiction and some kind of secret at home? Like Anybody? So it's not real community. I think that's why it's such a big deal. And I think if we're honest, we know that in the end, this is what's coming for us all, that the wages of sin is, is death. And so we see, well, physical death, that seems really harsh, but that's coming for all of us. Apart from Jesus Christ in our sin, there is death. There's death currently, and we know that, that as we continue in our own ways and rejecting God's best, that there's death in our relationships, death in our own lives, but also physically, that it's separation from God. And so if the wages, the paycheck that we get for sin is death, then here's what happened right here. Ananias and Sapphira, they got what we would call an early paycheck. We got, they got the same paycheck that's coming for all of us as we reject God's best. And so what about you? What would you do in a situation like this? And where are you right now? Will you settle for fake church? Because ACF, we will only be what all of us are together as individuals. Like we can have vision statements and we can have shirts with stuff on it, but guess what? This means nothing if we're not actually going out and doing this. It doesn't matter what's on the website. It doesn't matter what we write down. We are only what we are as individuals together. We will be what you and I choose to be. That will define ACF Church. And so I want to call us to another level of radical authenticity, another level of radical grace for each other, that we would lean in and say, I'm going to try this again because I want so desperately to be healed and to see others be healed. And what you will see is it will happen. It will happen. Just you making that choice today can change a community. One person's honesty can change an entire community. Consider a life group where it's simply like this weekly Bible study. Nobody really knows what's going on in each other's lives. They open the Bible, they close the Bible, they pray, they go home. And then somebody finally comes in and they admit that they aren't even sure that they're a Christian. They're not even sure that they want to go to church anymore. They're struggling with their own faith. They need some help. They're asking for help. And this group of religious people becomes a community because of one person. Imagine a, a marriage that has long since been dead before the divorce papers were filed until one of them says, listen, I don't want to lose this. I'm going to admit to you I'm struggling with an addiction to pornography or I had an emotional affair with a coworker, and I know it's going to hurt and I know it's hard, but I want so desperately to heal this relationship that I'm going to just lay it out there and I'm going to accept the consequences, but I'm telling you I want help. And then in that moment, a decision is made, and it's hard, but they work it out. And it's a beautiful picture of how massive God's grace is. Consider an office where you guys go to work every day together, and you're just about making money, 
and you're just about doing your job until somebody walks in and says, hey, I'm struggling. My mom's dealing with cancer, and I could just use somebody to, to share this with and to struggle through this with. And this, this office, this business place turns into a community. Or maybe you're a parent. Maybe you're a dad, and you're screwing it up. And everybody in your family knows. And they're losing respect for you because you won't admit it, but everybody knows that you're struggling. And then one day, finally, you sit everybody down and you say, guys, I've just been rejecting this for years. I'm a mess. And I need some help. But I want to heal this. And all of a sudden, disrespect turns to respect and relationships are healed. This is the kind of thing that happens all over when people embrace the radical kind of authenticity that I believe we will have as we truly follow in the ways of Jesus. I love this guy, Paul, as he, he describes how he views this whole thing. He talks about what other people think. And, and honestly, in the end, this is one of the things that keeps us from doing this, is we just struggle. What will they think of me? He says this in 1 Corinthians 4, 3. He says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. In verse 11, he goes on to talk about this life that they have together as the church. He says, To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. You just see in, in his heart this He's resigned himself to, to be totally okay with being seen as worthless to people because he knows who he is in Christ. And that's, let me just tell you, that's what happens when you can answer that question, who are you? When you actually know that you are a loved son or daughter of the king and you receive that love. And so you can answer that question at any moment. I am a son or daughter of Jesus. That's who I am. And I am loved by the highest authority. So it matters not to me what you think of me, but you can't help me and I can help you, so let's be honest. You just sense that in Paul's writing. And so what does this look like for you today? What does it look like to be honest for you? I just want to tell you that as you understand the grace of Jesus and how massive it is, you will grow in authenticity. A person who is very inauthentic has a very small view of the grace of Jesus. But as the grace of Jesus grows and you see how massive it is and how it's always greater than anything that you can confess, you begin confessing things and sharing things and realizing it, it matters not to me what you think of me. It matters to me what God thinks of me and I know what he thinks of me. He loves me enough to die for me. That's my God. And so let's be that together. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your grace today. Thank you that you've given us a place where we can do this. And we all uh, want to start by admitting that this is really hard. And that we've got some secrets and things that we haven't shared with anyone. There are things that we have resolved to take to the grave. God, and yet without knowing it, we have resolved to not be healed. God, thank you that you don't just offer us some kind of life and eternity, but but nothing for where we are. God, you want to give us life today and peace today and healing today. So God, I, that's my prayer for us. My prayer is that ACF Church would be the most authentic, loving 
community that anyone in our city has ever seen. And God, as we admit our weakness, I pray that respect would grow for people who call themselves Christians. I pray that the word Christian would be connected with grace in our city. As people think of the church, they would think of healing and restoration. And God, I pray that we all as individuals would embrace our role and our call to be those who amplify your grace to our city. And God, as we do, I pray it would change our community, that more people would come to a saving knowledge of you. God, change us so that we can see others be changed. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.